Hello and welcome to the podcast series The Four Pillars, designed for allied health professionals, students, non-registered assistant practitioners and all associated learners. This short series is designed to open the lid on the themes related to continuous professional development and we will meet and discuss hot topics with a variety of AHP leaders, practitioners, researchers and learners and how they manage to advance their practice and that of those around them. My name is Dougie Laughlin and this podcast series is sponsored and supported by Glasgow Caledonian University and is designed to support learners undertaking the GCU post-registration master's module in advancing professional practice. Whether you are a registered AHP developing your personal development profile or a non-registered assistant practitioner developing your career towards becoming a registered AHP, we hope this will be of interest to you. The podcast series will introduce you to the contemporary thoughts on CPD and much of the content in each podcast will be themed to align to the four pillars of practice as outlined by many professional bodies and healthcare organisations. Each week I will introduce you to a different guest who I feel captures the desired qualities in the respective fields which highlight what it means to develop practice. I hope that by exploring these topics you will gain a personal insight into how you can develop yourself and your practice. Welcome to episode two of the podcast series, The Four Pillars. Today we are joined by Claire Cardador, who's a speech and language therapist currently leading in the delivery of the CHAT service, which is a specialised service in NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde for people who use communication aids. She has worked in NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde since qualifying. Firstly, with adults with learning disabilities, and then, since 2020, she has specialised in the field of augmentative and alternative communication. She also enjoys being part of various professional development groups and projects, including being a rep for the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists Hub Forum. She does what she does because she is interested in people. So welcome, Claire. To our podcast and this series, as you know, is exploring a lot of different themes around about personal development. Today we've invited you along to GCU to talk about your experiences as an advanced practitioner and a a clinical leader uh, in the AHP world. So welcome. Thank you very much. So we're going to just kick off the questions today, just as we always do in this programme and start with a kind of personal question about your own CPD and if you could tell us you know your own experiences and what's driven you personally in your own CPD. I think for me it's always kind of been about can I do my job better can I make it easier for myself Um, and ultimately that that comes down to the people you work with I think for many health professionals you go into the job because you like working with other people you know, you have an interest in other people and how your skills can, can help them, really. Um, so that's kind of always been a main a main driver for me. And I think just as you go along, when you start off as a kind of undergraduate student, um, and I'm sure it's the same in every health profession, it can be quite broad what you study and yeah. there's lots of different yeah. areas. And as you start working, you start to realise you can explore your interests a bit more. A niche. Yeah, and yeah. you can develop that. So for me, my kind of CPD experience has been kind of partly influenced by that and also kind mm-hmm. of partly the skills that you you kind of 
me to develop as you go along. Yeah, you, t- you talked about the other people that are involved in that process and, and being around. And the, is, is culture something that's influenced that drive? I mean, you've been in areas working with others that you've either recognised it in others and had an aspiration to be like them, or is it something that's been almost kind of imposed upon you? And that sounds quite a strong word, imposed, but certainly after the experiences mm-hmm. of teams where it was almost an expectation that CPD was something that you did. I've also been in teams where there's an <laughs> expectation that you don't do ACPD, so yeah. I, I can see both sides of it. How, how did that fit? I think I've had variations, and I think there's kind of difference between the set CPD, which are maybe kind of your... They want you to do standard modules or, you know, set kind of tasks or... Maybe driven by the governance of your role, possibly? Yeah, yeah. Uh, related to maybe your awareness of working in multidisciplinary teams and that kind of thing. That's more kind of driven to the environment that you're in rather than kind of personal clinical interests. Um, And I've been lucky enough to have more than one kind of supportive line managers over the time who have really encouraged that and in particular really at an early stage of having someone there to kind of show their example but also um, drop those hints and discussions around about why don't you explore that further and you know that might have been some something as simple as kind of doing a bit of research looking up some articles you know doing kind of small quality improvement projects or actually going into kind of look at academic courses to to kind of further that um, interest and, and kind of knowledge around it so I think for me that that has varied. I think the bit that I've enjoyed most has been the bit where you're most interested in. <laughs> and I think that's, and you um, mentioned you know kind of QI stuff, and and obviously it's difficult to separate the kind of clinical pillar and clinical outcomes from mm. that QI. Uh, is is that something that you that again you've actively pursued, or is it something that you felt obviously expected out of your role? I think, I think there's been a bit of both. I think it's been more something that I have heard about and then pursued, mm-hmm. as opposed to it always being an active part of the role. And I think sometimes that's naturally been as part of pressures on cl- clinical time. Yeah. Um, you know whether yeah. people have the flexibility to do that. You're right, and I suppose there's always that bit of you know, with any QI, you know, project you're kind of thinking right, okay. What's the driver for this project? Mm-hmm. Is it clinical excellence? Mm-hmm. Or is it actually just saving a bit of money and, save, and using your time more wi- wisely? Yeah. But I suppose it's a bit of a juggle sometimes. I think for me, a lot of the QI stuff I've ended up kind of going down has been how can we support more people with the time that we have? You know, rather than on an individual basis, can we change environments? Can we have you know a positive effect on the people that are around the person, that kind of approach. And that, that's a real big thing in speech and language therapy and I'm sure in kind of any other health professions as well, because it's really that notion of inclusive environments mm-hmm. that can really have a kind of bigger impact than almost we can kind of have in a kind of one-to-one therapeutic point of view. Mm-hmm. So so that's always been something that I've had particular interest in because I can see the value in that. Um, along the way, I've had just kind of opportunities that have came up for me so at quite an early point I was involved in 
the there was a kind of within Greater Glasgow and Clyde, which is the health board I work for, um, they kind of run quality improvement um, kind of essentially courses or training programmes. Um, so I was involved in one thing quite early on in my career, which was really useful to have that kind of fundamental support around doing a project like that. Um, and and then was kind of supported within my role to act that out. And then that has kind of had a knock on effect really of of where I've kind of taken things from there. But I think having the support to do that, um, yeah. and I was quite lucky that the role in the team that I was in, we had the clinical capacity to do that. that. Um, and there's been other roles since where, where I haven't. <laughs> that can be a pressure, of course, um, it can be a pressure. I suppose leading on from that, uh, our next question is maybe asking you to be a bit more specific about mm-hmm. either these opportunities or possibly these incidents. Was there any specific moment or incident that made you think I or we as a team can do better than this? And, and, and what did that lead you down? What path did that lead you towards? Yeah, I think there's been different moments and I think it's hard sometimes when people are in an environment where you might feel that other people are being quite negative towards something because, you know, the frustrations or the... You know, ah, and the pressures at the moment, certainly, service at the moment absolutely. huge. Um, and I think sometimes maybe at an early career point of view, you're, you've still got that enthusiasm of, you know, you've not quite been um, worn down by any of that quite yet. Yeah. Um, so I suppose really kind of from from early days, anyway, we're kind of thinking, well, why, why don't we do things that way? I used to get quite frustrated when people say, oh, we used to do this. Mm-hmm. We used to do that. Like, why not? Why are we not doing it now? Yeah, yeah. Where did it go? Why <laughs> yeah. was it ditched? Yeah. Oh, Having that... the courage sometimes to challenge the, the now mm-hmm. is actually something that doesn't come easy to us. You know, I think there's that element of mm-hmm. just doing because it's expected or it's been done or this is what pressure is making me do such and such. But actually, as you say, taking that step back to appraise, you know, why don't we do it like this? Or why don't we try it this way? Or go back to the old way that seemed to work better? Yeah, yeah I joined, well, I started my career actually when there had been a quite a, um, a redesign of the service that I was working in. So as part of that, my job role came out, so I was quite happy with that. But obviously a lot of people, you know, there, there had been a lot of stress around that. Mm. Um, but fortunately for me, the team that I ended up in, both myself and my colleague that were there, we were both new to that team. Um, and it was a really good opportunity to kind of look at things, look at what had been done, what hadn't been done, review what we could offer and explore that a bit more. And I think that was really a useful foundation to see that that was, that was part of my role. And I've mm-hmm. made a kind of conscious effort ever since to push for that to be part yeah. of my role to look at things forward because we can get very much bogged down in the doing. the clinical demand because yeah. there's waiting lists and there's people yeah. to see. Yeah, and these are the targets that we need to ensure are met, etc. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But ultimately there's no point seeing somebody if we can't then have positive impact for them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that kind of um back and forth that I've always seen in terms of how can I ultimately have a better outcome for that person at the end of it and I definitely know that my practice has improved through doing those um, kind of CPD and, and reviewing 
my practice. Yeah, you've taken the time to do that. And, and, and reflection is something we talk about a lot, and we teach reflection, mm-hmm. don't we? But once we actually graduate and we don't have a reflective essay to submit, <laughs> do we actually sit down and reflect upon our own performance? Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what you're, what you're saying needs to happen, really, as a clinical you know, practitioner to actually raise your level of performance, you need to almost appraise where you are mm-hmm. and then kind of make the most of that. As that advancing EHP mm-hmm. practitioner, uh, you're striving for clinical excellence and not just in yourself, but more, maybe in your staff and your services. Where do you see the greatest impact of CPD in that delivery and in, in particular with clinical outcomes? Mm-hmm. Well, I think ultimately it's for the people that you're working with um, and and it's what you can offer as a service and particularly if, you know, working in the NHS, we need to be cautious. We, we know that it's not kind of um, just bottomless bit, bit of resource. Oh, so yeah. so we need to be creative around about what we can offer to try and have the, that kind of best outcome for the patients. And I, I think that's that's been something that developed my clinical CPD has influenced a lot of the, the job role that I'm in currently so mm. prior to prior to having the job role that I'm working in currently which is um, speech and language therapist for a specialist AEC service in GDC and by AEC I mean people that use communications um, that job didn't exist when I started looking into CPD opportunities. It was actually one of those, that would be my dream job if that came up, mm-hmm. kind of thought. Um, but I knew that I wanted to explore AEC further. I had a clinical interest that was relevant to my my role at that time. But actually, by and I went on to do a postgraduate certificate at Manchester Met, um, who were running the course at the time. And I suppose I started off going into it thinking, um, you know, I would learn there would be lots of clinical stuff, which it was. Technical actually, yes, skills, yeah. Yeah, you know, technical skills, how to do X, Y, and Z. At a high advanced yeah. you know, level of performance. Uh, um, but actually, as part of that, it's also, you know, um, appraising the research that's out there, or the limited research. <laughs> you know, and you know, combining that kind of notion of best practice mm-hmm. and influencing or reviewing the resources and the assessments and the approach that you currently have access to in your mm-hmm. service and they've all been really, really key things that I've then taken forward in, in kind of building the service that I'm working in now to have that foundation of best practice and ultimately that's what my role is, is to help other SLTs have best practice in this clinical area. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's directly with the patient, whether that's me having clinical discussions with them that influence their practice, mm-hmm. you know, so I think it's it's that knock-on effect. It's not just about yourself. Whilst that's been all great personal development for me, you know, mm-hmm. it's actually how it impacts the services you work in and the people that you work with as well. So you're generating that culture of inquiry. Mm-hmm. You're generating that culture of let's just look at what we do, evaluate what we achieve and could we have done it any better. So it is a process, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's not it's not been easy change change management across any mm. 
clinical area is a challenge, um, particularly when people are in a position where they have to reflect on, on their practice. And sometimes that reflection might amount to, oh, I could be doing this better, mm-hmm. but I don't know how to. Yeah. Or I feel I don't have the time to. Um, and I think that's a really tricky thing to, to work with. Sometimes it's that rather than I don't understand this technical aspect of it because you know most people can learn <laughs> learn that aspect sure. of it. Do you think we're we're equipped as practitioners to really appraise with these clinical outcomes? Do you think we're good at looking at clinical outcomes, or are we still quite focused in you know the yeah, what, what I mean by clinical outcomes is the kind of outcome of the service mm-hmm. as opposed to just the kind of one to one? Yes, so and so became you know, much better within this situation. Mm. They came with a predicament, we had an intervention, and we re-evaluated their predicament at the end of the intervention, and they appeared to have less issues. Mm. But, you know, what about that kind of, kind of more service-directed clinical outcomes, looking at populations and looking at the whole service as it delivers? Mm-hmm. Can we justify the funding of that service in that field? For instance, it's a big pressure that I hear a lot mm-hmm. from AHP managers at the moment, can we still see this population? Are we mm. still getting bang from our buck? It's a terrible expression that I hate for the business yeah, world, but it uh, does come in and it influences what we do yeah. when, we're, when we're service planning. Mm-hmm. And as, do you think we're as equipped as we could be as clinicians for really measuring the impact of our performance? It's quite a hard question, sorry. Yeah, to be honest, I think it depends on the person and your interests. I would say, and maybe it varies across different health professions and and what you kind of cover. I know, obviously I can't speak for every speech and language therapist, but just by the very nature of it, we're probably people who are interested in language. (laughs) You know, that's kind of where we go down. Less so in numbers and data. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's obviously always an element of that if you think of assessment and and data collection that way. But um, that's definitely something that's been a big learning curve for me is thinking about the data aspect of of my role and... Mm -hmm you know, what has been the impact of this service because the service that I'm a part of has is new. Is that there, an increasing pressure? Data management and informatics and how that's been collected at a kind of more local so. or I, national level? I think it's definitely a drive. Um, I've, my most kind of recent CBD last year was um, being involved in a dig- digital leadership programme yeah. that the NES run. Um, and as part of that, there was the discussion of we as clinicians, we have this data there, but we don't always pull it. But I think it's the notion of it, we can use it to our best advantage for the service to really see how we can make that big, the best kind of impact for yeah. it. And, and that is kind of considerations around about resource and, and where we can support people best as well. And I think it's something in a service that is new, you have to have to show that. You have to show why has has the health board decided this. You know, it's not yeah, just no, kind of sure. the the role has been I woke up one morning and decided <laughs> I was going to shelf that service. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, our service is influenced by the Scottish Government putting legislation in, in twenty sixteen to say that people who require communication needs should receive them and also the support on how to use them. So that was ultimately the main driver. Mm-hmm. But that's a very kind of 
wide <laughs> right remit there was no you know particular guidance on how we should do that and what that should look like yeah. um and how will the outcome of that be demonstrated yes it's sometimes um, harder to to show it yeah and particularly when we're now at the point of having national discussions so not just kind of locally within the health board but having national discussions around how different health boards are doing it and um you know whether people are accessing third sector organizations as part of that as well and it's good to be able to have you know the power of that data to to come forward and say well this is what we're doing rather than this is what i think we're doing or you know i think it's going quite well um but here's actually yeah, here's what what we will yeah. I suppose there's always that element of if, if you don't collect the right data, then you might not answer the question as um as comprehensively as as, as um yeah because you know if I'm putting my qualitative hat on here <laughs> as well and saying a number's just a number at yes. the end of the day and you can make mm-hmm. that number look good but you can also make that number look bad. Yeah. It's that kind of narrative that goes alongside mm-hmm. the, the the numerical data. Absolutely, and absolutely, that's something that I've been reflecting on quite recently is not just collecting data for the sake of it, but but what data, why are we doing it, what's it relating to, Um, you know, kind of alongside the feedback that we might be getting from clinicians or from the clients that we're working with as well. So I think it's to kind of support that and try and build a picture of this is what we're doing and it's working or it's not working and if it's not working what can we do about it um so yeah (laughs) that's a long answer to your question no it's great (laughs) okay back to this enjoyment bit about Mm -hmm. cpd there's so many different activities that we could do as part of what continuing professional development actually is what aspect of cpd is it that you enjoy the most i think exploring something that you have an interest in um and if it's going to make my life easier <laughs> in the, in the <laughs> end, like that. Yep, yep. Um, you know, or if I could do something in a more efficient life, way. Life is difficult sometimes, yeah, isn't why it? why would you and, not want to be yeah. more efficient? Yeah. Or and you see services that, are, that have evolved possibly not as fast as life and mm-hmm. it's a bit clunky. It's maybe a bit rougher in the edges. It probably could do with a little bit of refinement. And you're right. It's sometimes it's about actually just making life smoother. Yeah, absolutely. I'm for in in many kind of aspects as well. Um, But yeah, I think I remember when I was doing my undergrad and I got to the end of it and I couldn't possibly fathom the thought of doing any further study at that point when you've just broached the end of your kind of fourth year and you've graduated and you think, oh. Um, And I remember asking one of my lecturers, like, how would you know if you were interested? And exploring, you know, because you'd, you'd hear that there's master's courses and there's this, that, and the next thing that you could go on to do. And I remember she kind of said to me, it's different when it's relevant to the work that you're doing. And that particularly is, is, is kind of stuck with me um, because it has and it is different. And at that point, I wouldn't have thought about the thought of doing the postgraduate certificate that I did or various other courses. I would have thought, no <laughs> work is enough but actually it is that notion of this is going to benefit me at the end of it yeah. and but also coupled with a kind of personal interest and there is a little sense of just kind of stepping off the conveyor belt 
mm-hmm. for a minute as a clinician. And I think sometimes we can get carried forwards in that from nine to five or from whenever you start your shift to whenever you mm-hmm. end your shift all the way through a kind of cycle of a week and a month and a year. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, that you've never stepped off that conveyor belt to do something different mm-hmm. from what your day-to-day you know, activities are. And it is finding that time that's quite difficult. Yeah, but I think for me, what I've learned is everything I've done has had a positive knock-on effect for subsequent activities. So I don't think I would be doing the job that I'm doing had I not done that CPD because I just yeah. wouldn't have had the experience or the kind of knowledge to, to go forward with it. Yeah. Um, and actually kind of networking, sometimes you can end up quite insular into your local area. Um, so I think there's a real value in networking regionally, nationally, um, you know, and nationally for me has been throughout the UK in various aspects, you know, even doing the course down at Manchester Met, it was it was meeting people from a lot of different places and that were working in similar services that are all quite different throughout the UK. But hearing their experiences are really mm-hmm. valuable and you know you can use that as part of um where you can take things forward as well. So yeah. I'm so glad you say that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the kind of teaching strategies that we've tried to bring into this postgraduate programme is about that facilitation of learning through others and through peers mm-hmm. and through near peers. And I think sometimes we look at set programmes as be well, you're the tutors, you know it all, you have to disseminate that information. And that's absolutely not what this is about. It's mm-hmm. about sharing our experiences and valuing those experiences of others mm-hmm. and how we can learn through the perspectives of others because they're maybe coming at the same problem but from a different you know yeah. viewpoint and I think you you know that you're, you're sharing this story about going down and doing the PGC down in Manchester Met and meeting others that are in the same situation but they're doing things so differently mm-hmm. and that must have been really kind of fulfilling for yourself to come back up the road and think oh they're doing it like this down there or they're doing it like such and such down there yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely um, and people there's, there are now contacts that I've made that um, you can check in on things or are now kind of involved in other aspects of work, you know, mm-hmm. because you, you make those connections yeah, with, with other people. And mm-hmm. I think kind of going back to that um, shared learning and really kind of big on that pure supervision mm-hmm. aspect, because I think sometimes we get caught up in um, line management supervision. Yeah. Which is very different from peer supervision. Absolutely, 100%. Um, and, yeah. and that's something with. The, the role that I have currently I think a big wave influencing practice isn't for me to go out and see every person in Greater Glasgow and Clyde that yeah. has a communication aid but it, to do it through others. Absolutely and I think there are some roles, some professions possibly are more used to working in isolation or on their own mm-hmm. and coming from a physio perspective you know when I came in as an undergraduate uh, as a new graduate I was into a physio team mm-hmm. and there was that kind of hierarchical line management but mm-hmm. you know as I came through that and went into other roles it, it was me I was, mm-hmm. it was just, where did I find somebody to bounce ideas off mm-hmm. in an unthreatening way that wasn't judging me and valuing my input to that service mm-hmm. but just somebody that I could share that experience in a way that allows us both to learn really yeah and, and so that's something I'm really trying to kind of promote 
locally within our networks of SLTs to have those groups of people that are working in um, areas where they're working with people who use communication aids to to offer that reflection and that kind of set time to bounce off ideas. And yes, there might be a bit of you know sharing of clinical information and resources, but it's also an opportunity to reflect and, and kind of review where things are at. Um, and there's been, seems to be a real kind of benefit from that so far. And it doesn't always need to be often, you know, we can do it potentially on a kind of quarterly or biannual basis, mm -hmm. but it seems to be that that's enough to kind of take that time out to do it and, and reflect. And, and I've also sought that out on my kind of peers in terms of people within Scotland who are working in similar as similar as it can get <laughs> kind of yeah, positions you know and in, in their health board areas to have that discussion how are you doing this how are you yeah. um approaching this in your area what you know, barriers are you coming up with and how you got around that and that's really been invaluable and sometimes you just need a bit of time to to moan or let out frustrations yeah, and then yeah, <laughs> but and also do that too yeah, yeah but also yeah. celebrate success as well yeah. and i think we're we're not always good at celebrating those yeah. successes yeah. Um, because we I don't know if we just expect that we should be doing that because we're clinicians it's yes. what we're paid to do and it's yeah. paid to get an <laughs> outcome so nobody really thanks you for actually gaining that clinical outcome because yeah. that's why you're there yeah I get that completely on that mm. our last question which we posed to August is you know who benefits from CPD yeah well ultimately we hope it's the, the patients that we're working with um, and that they have a really positive experience when they're joining the service and um, particularly the people that I work with and, and people who use communication just could be from the youngest of children to the oldest of adults um, with various kind of life experience and um, medical conditions as well but quite often it can be a very difficult time in their life for a variety of reasons and I would ultimately want to make sure that we're not causing any any additional stress that we need to and it's, it's kind of positive impact. So you think CPD kind of allows you as a practitioner to kind of have that more holistic outlook towards your client? I think so. I think it's about um, if you feel confident as a practitioner and and also, not just about the kind of confidence that you have, but I think if you're open to reflection and if you're open to improvement and if you're open to things not always going the way that you think it's going to go, but seeking out a way to change it, then that ultimately, it kind of, you hope, improves yeah, <laughs> patient sure. experience. Yeah, sure. um, but so far, I think from the feedback that we've had, and we, we try to do that, you know, get our feedback from the people Kind of stakeholders that we work with yeah. essentially yeah. um that has come back kind of positive and anything that's yeah. so not gives you an opportunity to, to, to do to do more about so. it well listen claire it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you today I've, I've been listening to your perspective as a clinician and a practitioner and what cpd means for you and it's and hopefully the rest of the, the guys the listeners are, are, are taking on board this uh, this experience that you that you've felt over the last few years thanks yeah no th thanks very much for for having me and it's yeah it's been a useful reflective experience for me <laughs> <laughs> absolutely thanks Kate. thank you
Join us next week on The Four Pillars and we'll introduce you to a really engaging practice education facilitator in Lanarkshire, Ruth Patterson.